We are in a series on the book of Proverbs in the Bible's Old Testament, and I call this Uncommon Sense. Uncommon sense. You heard of common sense? Well, this is kind of a play on that uncommon sense from the book of Proverbs. So have any of you done your homework? Okay. Does any of you have a dog or a cat? I always tell the same joke. A dog or the cat ate your homework. What was your homework supposed to be? We'll see who was listening last week. Right. It was read a chapter of Proverbs every day. So I don't know if you... You know, you're just like my jokes, or you're actually taking this seriously. But I'm telling you, if you do take it seriously and you read one, just one chapter of Proverbs every day, you take a month to do it, you are going to see big time uh, results from that and big time change in your life as a result, especially if you. Uh, when you run across a proverb that you really, really like, you make it a point to try and memorize that proverb. Maybe write it down and put it in your phone, whatever. If it means something to you, it connects with you, try and memorize it. The, the Bible is like that. The effort that you put in, you will see God will match it and more. And uh, if you really want to, to test that, uh, just... Read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and you'll see if it doesn't work, you can come see me, and I'll give you your money back, okay? Like, uh, I'm telling you, this stuff works. So we're into uh, chapter 4 here, and we're going to talk about the subject of pride. Me, me, and oh yeah, me. Not me, but you, you get the point. And we're going to talk about this, this, uh, the subject of pride here from the Proverbs. Remember that Proverbs is, is its own style of literature. Uh, Proverbs and at least Ecclesiastes and probably the Song of Songs, you could say as well. This is a category of literature. We call this wisdom literature, right? And remember, in, in the Proverbs especially, you're not looking at these 100%, you know, uh, warranties and guarantees from God, you know, like a, some kind of magic charm or rabbit's foot. And, you know, if I just uh, claim this, it'll work in every situation. It's sort of like magic. That's not what Proverbs are. Remember, you read a collection of them, and they're trying to help you to make wise choices and wise decisions in life about a whole variety of subjects. That's the goal of the Proverbs, and so they're repetitive, and, and they're easy to remember, probably written by Solomon a guy with an awful lot of life experience, some great experience and some not so great experience. And he, he probably writes most of these. We look at the way the book is organized. It's not just uh, sort of spewed out there on the page. It does have a structure to it, does have an organization to it. And we're looking at one theme that's pretty dominant in um, the Proverbs, but not only in the Proverbs, in the whole Bible. And it's a subject of pride. So uh, like last week, I'm going to read a few of these to you. Um, so Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. This is pretty straightforward. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 9. 
better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. Say, what's that mean? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a riddle. You, if you're unknown and no one knows you and you have no reputation, you're sort of at the bottom of the food chain, but you have a servant. That means someone who's going to help you, someone who's going to take care of you, someone who's going to maybe give you food. It's better to have be that and be a nobody, at least you have a servant, than you pretend that you're somebody, but really you've got no food. So you gotta, you're putting on an, an appearance, but you really have nothing. You ever seen uh, maybe on television or something where, where you have people and they, you go into their house and they have these magnificent homes and all kinds of new furniture and everything like that, but it's all a sham. It's all rented, it's all borrowed, and they've, they really don't have any money, they have no job, they have no nothing, it's all for appearance. So this speaking to that, Proverbs 16, verses 18 and verse, verse 18 and 19. Pride, this is a famous one, goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. So you got a contrast here between pride and humility. Uh, chapter 18, verse 12. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. Another word we don't use too often anymore. But humility comes before honor. Again, pride, humility, contrasted 22 and 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life, the, the virtue of humility. Uh, 25, verses 6 and 7, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. In other words, you're in the presence of someone of great notoriety and authority don't get too big for your bridges. Let him exalt you. Don't try and exalt yourself. It's better that way rather than for him to humiliate you. Uh, 27 verses 1 and 2. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Sounds very much like something James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth an outsider, and not your own lips. In other words, same idea, right? It's this idea of you, you keep the humble place. If somebody else wants to praise you, okay, good, but don't, don't be boastful. 27 verse 21, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold but people are tested by their praise. It's a bit of a riddle. You would, uh, uh, to, to um, craft silver and gold, you use a crucible, you use a furnace, 
But people, how are they tested? It's by their praise. How do they handle praise? How do they deal with praise? Do they deal with praise in a prideful fashion? Or do they take the humble space, the humble place in their life? So when you just survey these things, would you say that pride is a good thing or a bad thing? How many say a good thing? Okay, how many say a bad thing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really frowning on, on pride. It's quite severe against pride. And that's just a sampling. You could probably think of Proverbs and things in the Bible that are very, very severe warnings against pride. The question that I think, if we're being honest, that we would ask is why? Why in the Bible, why apparently to God is pride such a problem? I mean, it doesn't seem like it should be to us. You know, in our culture, we don't see it as this, this major, major character flaw or sin or problem. We don't look at it that way. And we peer into the pages of the Bible, and the Bible really, really has it in for pride. And you see pride, again, listed. Uh, we talked about gossip uh, I think it was last week, you see pride up there with that, you know, and, and, and other kinds of sin that seem to be a lot more harsh, at least to us. So why does pride uh, occupy this, this place in the mind of God? In order to understand that, uh, I'm going to take you to a little, a little story uh, in the Gospels, uh, quite important because it's Jesus and you'll get an understanding about pride from what he says here. This is out of Mark 12. Uh, you'll also find it in Matthew, but I like the way Mark has it rendered here. And here you've got um, uh, conversation happening, debate happening with Jesus, which he was not, he didn't shy away from debate with people. And you've got a, a teacher of the law who hears him debate and he notices uh, the intelligence and the wisdom of Jesus, and he asks him a terrific question. He says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So everything in what we would call the Old Testament, of all these commandments, which is the most important? This is a fabulous question because we really want to hear what does Jesus think of this. So Jesus replies, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is famous to the Jewish people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Notice the words love there. doesn't say appreciate. It doesn't say acknowledge. Love the Lord your God. And with everything you've got, you love the Lord your God. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then he throws in the second one. Love your neighbor. Not appreciate, not acknowledge. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Nothing greater than this. In another place, he'll say, all the law and the prophets hinge on these. And the guy says, well said. You're right. You know, in saying that God is one, there's no other but him. Again, famous to the Jewish people. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. It's more important than all burnt offerings and all sacrifices. And Jesus retorts back and he says, hmm. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then the writer says, from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus shuts down the debate. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. If this is true, if he's right, then you see why God frowns upon pride so much. Because pride has no place in these commandments. You cannot love God and yet be a proud person in the sense of defining pride as me, me, and oh yeah, me. I'm the center of existence. I'm the center of attention. I exalt myself above everything else. It's the antithesis of that. Love the Lord your God with all you've God, everything you have, you love God. You cannot love God and be proud. It's impossible because God has to be the center of your life, not you. And this is, this is why this is a detestable thing to God because he has to occupy that first place. And he goes even further and he says, your neighbor, you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you do not, you, you, you are not negative toward your neighbor. You are not better than your neighbor. You extend love to your neighbor the way that you would your own self. You cannot have pride and obey that commandment. And he says the whole thing hinges on that. That's the most important thing that's the most important set of commands that you have. And you see this reiterated several times across the pages of Scripture. Over and over again, they're to be reminded of this. So fast forward to now and to our time and to our culture. And I'm going to ask you a question, a very serious question um, that I want you to answer to yourself, but I want you to assume one thing. And I, th I think, even if you're a skeptic in the room or you're watching online, you're skeptical of Christianity and so on, I want you to, to allow an assumption. And the assumption is that we have a need to worship something. I think this is a very reasonable assumption. So we have an innate uh, wiring, an innate desire to have some focal point and reason and purpose for our lives. It gets us out of bed in the morning. It, it gets us out to our, our, our jobs. It, 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 there's a reason we have that thing that's in the back of our minds. It's that narrative that's always there that's driving us to keep going. 
and this is the need to worship, to put something there that drives us, something that propels us, something that motivates us, something that inspires us. I think it's a safe assumption to say that we all have this. Now, we worship different things and different people and all of that. I'm not, I'm not disputing that, but I'm saying I, I think it's reasonable to say we all have that desire. We may not use the word worship, but it's exactly what we are doing. We are, in fact, worshiping. It takes our time, this thing. It takes our, our, our abilities. It takes our thoughts. It takes our, everything that we do is centered around this thing, whatever it is. Ultimately, that's what's driving us. Assuming that this is true, what happens if the culture rejects the idea of a personal creator God? I'll use the word theism to describe this. This means that God exists, but he's not just, he doesn't just exist. He's personal and he desires to have a relationship with humankind. What happens if we have that need to worship, but we reject theism and we say, no, there is no personal creator God. And, you know, maybe if there is who cares? Maybe he or she or it or whatever is just for people who are really messed up in life and all of that. But we have no need of theism. We don't need it anymore. But yet, assume we still have this need to worship. What do you think would happen to such a culture? What will we do? I know it's a, a serious question, a hard question to answer, but think about it. What would we do if we reject theism? Yeah, exactly. We will start to worship something else, won't we? And this, my friends, is exactly the time and the culture that we live in. I mean, in Quebec, it's even in the legislation, folks. We have secularized the, the, the province. I was going to say the state there. <laughs> we have secularized the province. So we, what, what we've done is we've said, you, the, you can have your religion. You can have your, your theism if you want to, but just keep it aside. That's your thing. That's private. But we have no need for that in the broader culture. It does not affect the broader culture. It's nonsense. It's irrelevant. It may be good for you, but it's not good for anybody else. It, we've pushed it out to the side. And it occupies the margins of life, but it has no say. It has no influence over culture anymore. So say we. And when we do that, we start to worship our selves. We start to worship other things. Put a picture of someone taking a selfie. I mean, we, we become obsessed with what? To a large degree, ourselves. And we take the place of the personal creator God. And we become the center, we become the center of attention, or maybe things and stuff and, you know, materialism and money starts to become the center of attention. But who's driving that? We are. So ultimately, it comes back 
to us. And we become, in effect, the gods of the world. We make the, the decisions. Listen, don't tell me about God providing for me and all that. Look, I go out and I work. Don't give me your God thing that's good for you, but that's not the way that life works. That's a nice crutch for you, but I can do it on my own. Don't need your God. I don't need your Jesus and all of that that's good for you, but this, this has no relevance to life itself. You've just created this. You've just made this up to make yourself feel better, helps you cope with life and death and so on. But you've got to learn to grow up and make it on your own. This is the worship of self. This puts self in the place of God. That's what we do when we eject it from our lives. We say, no, there is no theism. There's no personal creator. God, we don't need that. There's a, there's a movie that's playing in this theater, in this building anyway. And uh, I haven't seen it, but read reviews of it. Very interesting premise. This is uh, dealing with some of these ideas, in particular AI artificial intelligence. And in the film, uh, having read a, a few reviews of it, the AI that's actually created is actually more human than humans themselves. And, uh, you know, there are people talking about things like AI now, and they're a bit spooked, folks, because this is symptomatic of a culture that has thrown the idea of a personal creator God out the window. Well, then we can now take his place. We can create, we can make the rules, we can design, we can solve problems, and we can do this all on our own. We do not need to depend on a transcendent being, some personal, invisible, transcendent, imminent being. We don't need this anymore. We got rid of this, you know, at the Enlightenment 200 years ago. So what do we need this stuff anymore? We've got ourselves. We can figure it out. By us, we live. By us, we die. And that's it. And what we see in the world is that this pride, this exaltation of self affects a person's worldview. And it affects the decisions and the actions of people, of populations, of cities, of countries. It affects all of it when your worldview is all about you. And it's all about your thing, and you decide, you create the truth, and that's it. And what happens is, well, I feel this, and so that's real, and that's true, because I feel it. Never mind this idea of some uh, absolute transcendent truth. There is no absolute transcendent truth, which, by the way, is an absolute truth. Just saying, I just contradicted myself, right? As soon as you say there is no absolute truth, you just invented an absolute truth. In any case, this is what happens when self is on the throne. Self gets exalted, and then truth is based on what you feel. I feel it, therefore it's true. And you see this in some pretty big things around the world, folks. Uh, I mean, yesterday, 
um, uh, uh, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, terms that have a deep significance in the Bible, truth and reconciliation. Folks, just, just I mean, maybe it's going to sound offensive, but it's so late for something like that. My goodness, is it ever late. I mean, I suppose you could say better late than never. But folks, like, this should have been decades and decades and decades ago. And why not? Because of pride. That's why. Because of a lack of willing to admit what happened and so on and take responsibility and come to grips with it and repent from it and seek reconciliation and acknowledge the truth and all these things. Folks, that's basic human life. But this is, this is until now we do this. Why? Because of pride. Folks, most of the wars that start are because of pride. We are living one right now. It's like however old it is now, two years, going into two years. Why? Because of the pride of one powerful world leader has changed the face of the globe because of this. And what is it, folks? It's pride. I'm going to say something here. It's going to offend people maybe. But this leader has the gall to quote scripture to justify that. Excuse me, what happened to love your neighbor as yourself? Wow, that's a good scripture to quote before you decide to invade another nation. Where is the worldview, folks? The worldview is centered on self. And when it is centered on self, we become the gods. We make the decisions. And you see this everywhere. And no nation is exempt you know, the United States or whatever, no nation is exempt. Canada is not exempt. We all, this is symptomatic of the broader culture in the West, in the East, everywhere. It's us, us, us. It's me, me, and oh yeah, me. And now we have technology that enables us to keep going with this. I'll say something else It's going to be offensive, folks. When's the last time you checked online how many genders there are? You know how many genders there are in the mind of some? A hundred and seven. You said, I thought there was only two. Folks, there hasn't been only two since the 1960s. It's considered the most archaic, the most offensive view to say there are two genders. Why is that, folks? Because of the exaltation of self. And by no means am I trying to demean the, the LGBTQ community by saying this, by no means whatsoever. If you know anything about me, folks, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, one of these people who say, oh, well, you know, they just, uh, that's their choice. It's their choice to go and do that. You know how offensive that is when you talk to a, a person who, who's, who's going to be open-minded with you, who's part of the LGBTQ community, and you say that to them? You know how offensive that is to them, folks? It's not, they don't feel like it's a choice for them. But all of that said, where does this come from? This whole idea of, well, you know, I feel it, and therefore it is. And so we create these things. 
We change language. We change all of them. Now we have technology that can back us up. Why? Because of the exaltation of self ultimately. And it spews in by like osmosis into all these different areas of life. We now create the truth. We now create reality and forget about God the imminent, transcendent, invisible God, forget him. He is for the wackos who are in that church that meets in the movie theater. Well, I mean, uh, you, that, that, that may be an opinion, folks. But look and observe and see how much we are consumed with ourselves and with things that we create. This is why it's so offensive to God. If you look, and this can't, this is speculation to a degree, but it's, it's probably the most prevailing theory. And you look at the theory and the origin of uh, the enemy, uh, Satan, the devil, and so on, as he's described in the Bible. The most, the most accepted view of his origin is that this was some sort of angelic created being that became proud, that wanted to usurp the place of God and replace him. And the word is used by the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel and Isaiah, I think, talking about how pride was found in you, son of the morning. And he wanted to have this kind of mutiny or good old-fashioned mutiny and rebellion, you know, in the heavenly realms against God and was therefore cast out of it to some degree, to some measure. That is the prevailing view by, by scholars of the origins of this being, at least by conservative scholars. That's pride, folks. This is why it's so detestable before God and we manifest it over and over and over again when we have this attitude, me, me, and oh yeah, me. It's the antithesis of love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. What's the remedy? We see it in the Proverbs. It's humility. It's humility. And this is the ethic of the Christian faith. Two uh, New Testament texts that are great about this. One is a is a beautiful story that Jesus told, and it says in Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 9, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Sounds a lot like pride. Jesus told this parable. Oh boy. Two men went up to the temple to pray. <laughs> That's okay. We'll wait, we'll wait for it to, get, to turn off. No problem. <laughs> it's all right. I've had it happen many times before. So two men went up to the temple to pray. This is a story Jesus is going to tell. He's going to put these proud people in their place. Got two men. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee is the ultra-religious, ultra-orthodox guy. He got it all together. The tax collector is a traitor. He's a turncoat. He's, he's Jewish, 
but he went and sided with the Romans for a buck. And on the inside, he's collecting taxes against his own people. Tax collector frowned upon, detested by his own people. So if you're thinking and you're listening to the story, you're going, oh, yeah, that Pharisee. The Pharisee's a good guy, and the tax collector, he's a bad guy, right? That's what you think. And so Jesus continues the story, and he says, the Pharisee, he stood by himself, and he prayed. Oh, yeah, let's hear his righteous prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this dude over here is tax collector. Oh, God, I thank you. I am not like other people. Who's he praying to? Is he praying to God? Sounds like he's praying to himself. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like this. I thought when you're praying, you're supposed to address God. Some translations even say he prayed to himself. May as well. He may as well have been God. I mean, he's judge and jury of everybody else. And here's this tax collector going to the temple to pray. I mean, even people seeing the tax collector going to do that, they'd look at him and they'd sneer at him. And he goes on, this guy justifies himself. He says, hey, God, I fast twice a week and I tithe too. Yeah, look at me. Look at me, God. I'm not like this dude over here. I'm a faster. I'm a tither. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like this tax collector. I, 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 me, me, and oh, yeah, me. Ugh. But the tax collector, he stands at a distance, Jesus says. And the audience, you could, if you were there, the audience would be like this, like shocked. He stands at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven, this tax collector. He's got his head low like this, his posture of humiliation. And he, he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the closest thing that we find in the Bible to the so-called sinner's prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's the punchline. From Jesus. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, who you detest, right? This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Wow, justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wow, what a powerful story. You get a microphone drop if you were in that audience because he totally flips the tables and the people who are confident in their own righteousness and looking down on themselves, he is pointing the finger straight at them. And he's saying, you are proud and God is going to make you low because it is this sinner who is justified before God and not you. Wow. Powerful, powerful story. Disturbing story if you are on the side of the, you know, we're confident in our own righteousness. And then finally, 
James addresses this, the half-brother of Jesus, and he's in a quite a, a mode here. We saw this last week as well. Like, he really, uh, he, he gets on these rants, James, and he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want, but you don't get. So you kill and you covet. You can't get what you want. You quarrel. You fight. The reason why you don't have is because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on yourselves and on your pleasures. And he really, really goes after them. And he says, you're an adulterous people. You're friends with the world. If you're friends with the world, you're, you're God's enemy. If you choose to be a friend of the world and so on. And he really, really lays into them. And he says, that is why scripture says, quoting from the Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil. He brings the devil into this. Remember, the sin, maybe, of this being was pride. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. And he concludes, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, just like the Proverbs, the contrast of humility with the sin of pride. So this is why this is such a thing for God and why we have to watch out for it, folks. It's so easy to become that way in our culture which really has turned pride into something of a good trait. Uh, you know, and the sort of the prouder you are, maybe the more successful you will be. Not so in the eyes of God. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to finish the service up in prayer. And any musicians, you're in the room, you guys want to come on the stage and play. I will leave that up to you. Uh, but Father, I, I pray for each person who's here in the room today, those who are watching online, those who are going to watch later, listen later. Wow, we have a, a conundrum on our hands, oh God, where uh, we, see, uh, we see something that may be a virtue in the world, but something that you see totally opposite to what the world says. And so I pray, God, you would help us to live our lives uh, on guard against this. I pray, Lord, we would truly be obedient to that very simple but that very powerful command to love you, not just to acknowledge you, but to love you with everything that we have, O oh God, and to show that love also to our neighbor even as ourselves, Lord. So often we can be in our own little cocoon and our neighbor, even our literal neighbor, literally next door to us, can be a total foreign person. Never even a discussion, never even a conversation. So I pray, God, you would help us to model the great command uh, that Jesus states here. And that people would look at us and see him somehow shining through our lives. 
We pray for every household, Lord, you would impact children even in this as they're taught something so, so different that we would model humility. We pray together today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Enjoy it. The first Sunday of October. If you're a guest, I'll be outside or in the front. I'd love to meet you. And you can uh, connect with Shu Yin. She'll be outside if you want to be a driver for their uh, retreat. God bless you, everyone.